Okay, for our split sermon this morning, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Reg Noland. It is entitled OS 1.0. People always are criticizing me for my long titles. This is the shortest one I have ever made. Five characters. Five characters. All right, we heard the announcement about our Tuesday night Bible study. Well, recently, in one of our Tuesday night Bible study sessions, the topic arose of the dietary laws and when they were established and put into effect, which gave rise to the issue of when sin entered the world, and the discussion was quite spirited, and of course we resolved nothing. But that debate was, was the impetus for uh, this message. The study I did to investigate the problem not only answered my original query, but also led to some very interesting conclusions about the nature of the universe as well. This message, then, is the summary of that investigation. Now, being passed out to you is an outline of my uh, message today with the scripture references so you can follow along if you want to go back and look at them again later. Okay, so what we can eat has changed over time. When human beings were created, we ate the Genesis diet, which was entirely vegetarian. Uh, Genesis 1, 29 uh, through 31. Oh, no, but can I? Okay. Um, and God said, see, I have given you every green herb, sorry, every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Notice, even though the beasts were vegetarian. Even the beasts were vegetarian at this point. Then God saw everything they made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Skip to, down to Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. And the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. And here's his purpose, to tend and to keep it. And the Lord commanded uh, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, then you shall surely die. Apparently the original diet that God intended for us was vegetarian. For both man and beast. And that's important to realize. Um, and it consisted of fruits and herbs and seed uh, that you'll see on a eat-what-you-find basis. The cultivation of grains is a more sedentary community. It requires something to be settled and so we can go out to the farms on a regular basis. And so they weren't added to the diet until much, much later. There is no overt indicator that we ate meat of any kind. However, why else would Abel be a keeper of sheep if an omnivore Omnivorous uh, diet were not part of God's plan. I remember Jim Arnold who used to say, vegetables are just pre-processed meat. Okay, now Adam and Eve, Genesis 4, uh, 1 through 5. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. You've got to ask. If Abel was a keeper of sheep, what was he a keeper of the sheep for if we weren't intended sometime along the way to become an omnivorous uh, being? 
And in the process of time, it came to pass. Cain brought an offering of the uh, fruit uh, to the uh, fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also bought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his confidence fell. Now after the flood, our diet seems to have changed. Ken brought this up. I was never aware of this um, in, our, in our meeting the other night. After the flood, our diet seems to have changed. Now allowing for the consumption of meat as indicated in God's instructions to Noah. In Genesis 9, verses 3 to 4, it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given uh, uh, you all things, even as the green herbs. Notice that qualifier, even as the green herbs. So all things, even as the green herbs. So since the green herbs were fit to eat, then he gave them the animals that were fit to eat as well. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is to say blood. I suspect that there is an understood but not overtly stated clause omitted from these instructions. Something like, uh, that is fit for food. So that should come really right after every moving thing that lives. Then the whole thing would read, every moving thing that lives, that is fit for food, shall be food for you. That's what I think it should read. But it was omitted here because... The nature of animals haven't changed. And God did not expect us to be stupid enough to eat garbage scowls, which is the purpose of most of the unclean animals. One could dress up a pig in a tuxedo, okay, and make him the fanciest looking pig you can imagine. But as soon as you see the mud hole, what's he going to do? Run to that mud hole and wallow in it, right? Can't change the nature of a pig. Further, you can't fix stupid. You can't fix stupid. If left to our own devices, human beings would eat just about anything, including other human beings. Okay? If you don't believe me, examine the content of uh, a Cajun boiling pot or the dinner table of Southeast Asia or the cauldrons of Africa, Asia, and South America or the menus of the finest French or Italian restaurants. Or a soul food kitchen. Or any of the teenage fads of the 1950s. Those those guys ate anything. Okay. Uh, it seems that there was no limit on what human beings will try to ingest if not explicitly instructed otherwise. I suspect partly in disgust over what man was doing, God finally smartened up. I think it's odd to think that God was that need to smarten up, but he did because we were so stupid. Um... And uh, it told us explicitly what was and was not fit for food in the dietary laws of Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Now, these laws warn us against consuming specific animals that are prone to carrying disease and parasites that would be harmful to our health. These are physical sins with the inherent consequences for disobedience built in but we do not violate the moral principles of the Ten Commandments explicitly unless one considers the desire for unclean foods to be a self-willed variant of gluttony, envy, and pride. You see how the discussion just naturally led in to sin entering the world? Okay, so our question then becomes, what is sin? How and when did it enter the world? 
In the beginning, God created human beings without the active sin. But very soon after man's creation, he started sinning. Why? That's a good question. Let's begin by looking at the account of the creation of man in Genesis. For man was created without sin and declared by God to be very good. Genesis 1, verses 24 to 31. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth, each according to his kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to his kind, cattle according to his kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Uh, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every, green, every herb that yields a seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be food. And also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay, so he has just created man. He's created all the beasts. He's given them green leafy vegetables and fruit and seed to, for to eat. And he declares all of it very good. Skip down to Genesis 2, uh, 15 to 18. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. You shall surely die. And the Lord said, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. That's always interesting to me that the first thought after telling man not to eat of the tree of uh, difference between good and uh, evil is to give him a helpmate. It's always interesting that they follow one after the other. Hmm. Okay, uh, Genesis 2, verses 21 to 25. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. And that rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woe man. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man, uh, because uh, she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, man said to his wife, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, we know that sin entered into the human world through the temptation of Eve by Satan in the form of a nakash. Nakash is a serpentine, reptilian creature apparently standing on two feet at this time. We all think of it as the snake in the garden. But we cannot place all the blame on Satan. 
and simply echo the words of Philip Wilson. Everyone remember Philip Wilson? What did he say? The devil made me do it. Okay? Rather, if we are honest, we must own the responsibility for our participation in sin. In sin. The um, record of that encounter is spelled out for us in Genesis. So look at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7 now. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which God had uh, made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that she, it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise. So she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband uh, with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves covering. You notice what Eve did here? She actually conducted a scientific experiment. She observed. She looked at those things. They took note and made a hypothesis. And, and things went downhill from there. So uh, Genesis 3, verses 22 to 23, we see the results of that. And Jehovah said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand also and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore uh, Jehovah God sent him out of the garden to till the ground from uh, which he had been taken. So we see the sin and we see the immediate consequence of it that they were booted out of the garden of Eden. So, what is sin? We need, first, we need a definition. And 1 John 3, 4 provides that for us. 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who sins uh, breaks God's law, for sin is the same as breaking of God's law. The uh, King James Version is who, everyone who sins transgresses the law because sin is the transgression of the law. Okay, please note the important implication of this definition. Think. If sin is determined as the, or defined as the transgression of the law, then if Adam and Eve sinned, then the law had to exist prior to and be active in the Garden of Eden. That's important. That is to say, the existence of sin implies the existence of the law. Now, Paul made this clear to the Romans. I'm reading here from the um, contemporary Jewish version. Uh, this, is, this is Romans 5.13. Sin uh, was indeed present in the world before the Torah was given. But sin is not counted as such when there is no Torah. Second, we need to declare the universality of sin. That is to say, everyone has sinned. Even though there are some persons, particularly those in high offices and politics and the entertainment industry, who claim not to sin. Let's see what scripture says about that. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. First John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so the next question we have is, when did sin first occur on planet Earth? That's a good question, isn't it? When did sin first occur on planet Earth? Believe it or not, Adam and Eve did not commit the first sin on planet Earth. Long before the Garden of Eden, a pre-Adamic civilization of angelic beings with free will, and hence the ability to sin, existed on Earth, ruled by the archangel Lucifer, who would later become Satan the devil because of his sin and pride. Long before the Garden of Eden, a great war occurred in heaven, uh, when a faction of angelic beings, about a third of the heavenly hearse, Host, led by Lucifer, rebelled against God and, re and the remaining heavenly host. Jude alludes to this rebellion. He says in Jude 1.6, the the, And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, in other words, they rebelled, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day. Peter's a little bit more overt. Uh, he declares that the uh, fallen angels actually sinned. In 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 11, uh, Peter says, For God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of, on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash, Ashes condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented in his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing of their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to restore the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who, walking according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, who do not bring a reviving uh, accusation against them before the Lord. Now, Isaiah, a little bit more specific about the fall of Lucifer. So Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol and to the lowest depths of the pit. Now Ezekiel reinforces Isaiah's idea. He confirms augment Isaiah's account of Lucifer in his lament of the king of Tyre. This is in Ezekiel 28. 12 through 19. I know most of you are familiar with these scriptures, but it helps them bring them all together on a single focus. Okay, Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 19. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him. Now it starts out as a lamentation toward the king of Tyre, supposedly, but it quickly, 
quickly reverts into a lamentation over uh, Lucifer. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Uh-oh, no longer king of Tyre, is it? Can't be because king of Tyre was not in Eden. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and jasper, and sapphire, turquoise, and emerald of gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and the pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were anointed, you were the anointed cherub that covers, and I established you. You were on my holy mountain. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stone. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with the violence from within. And you sinned. He sinned. Hmm. Okay. And therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stone. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries before the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. That's like a uh, self-destruct bomb from inside. Okay? Uh, I devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the people who were astonished at you. You became a horror and shall be no more forever. So Satan will be completely destroyed. Not just bound and chained forever. John also asserts that the devil was and is a murderer and a liar. Uh, both sins from the beginning. John 8, 30, 44 says, You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father and, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. And lying apparently is a very, very, very vicious sin in God's eyes. Now, if Lucifer and his followers sinned in their rebellion against God, then the implications are quite staggering. For in order for sin to occur in this pre-Adamic rebellion, then the law of God would have had to have existed somewhere between the beginning of time and the creation of the angelic realm. For there can be no sin where there is no law. There can be no sin where there is no law. It matters not that it was the angels doing the sinning instead of human beings. They were still sinning. So the law still had to exist. So if the law existed prior to Eden, then it must be some sort of operating system OS. An operating system 1.0 for the entire universe. So what is the nature of this operating system? We get a strong indicator when Jesus answers the Pharisees who were trying to trick him with the question of the law. Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Note that. Both the law and the prophets are contingent upon the great commandment of love. Hence, the operating system for the entire universe must be a love principle, for it is the nature of God. 1 John 4, 7-21 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's an important statement. The very definition of God is, God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be our propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Whoever confesses that Jesus is Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love uh, that God has for us. God is love. He says it twice here. And also, he who um, abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us uh, in, in this, is that we may be, have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Next verse is very important. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For, who is, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that uh, he who loves God must love his brother also. Further, this operating system is most robust and is, in fact, its own antivirus, annihilating any worms of despair or Trojans of hatred and bigotry. It is a self-sustaining system and, the will, and will indeed eventually conquer all. Sin is the ransomware that tries to attack the operating system and hold us captive with the goal of corrupting the operating system in order to bring about entropy and chaos. Most of sin can be classified as three types. Pride, selfishness, or hatred. Those are the three basic types of sin that you're working with. So why do we sin? That's a good question. After all, humanity started out very good as God said in Genesis. For all his natural instincts had been placed in man by God himself for our benefit. But somehow, between then and now, most of those natural instincts have been perverted into sins. Indeed, Satan has taken each of our positive natural instincts and transformed them into a powerful perversion of the natural instinct to use as a, te a temptation. If we did not have the positive natural instinct to begin with, then the temptation 
would not be as appealing. So, Brian, have you got the, my chart? There it is. Okay, so um, first, I'm going to want to have on the left-hand side are the natural instincts, and then on the right-hand side, the sinful perversion of that natural instinct. First, we have a desire for knowledge. That's good. Knowledge helps us to grow, to become greater beings, to become more and more like God. But some people are lazy. They want to take a shortcut. They don't want to go through the work of having to, uh, that is required for study uh, to gain knowledge. So they go to occult knowledge, sorcery, mysticism, magic, things like that. But think, it takes just as much work to learn that stuff as it does to uh, learn the knowledge in the first place. So I don't know why they're taking the long way around. Then there's a desire to know God. Well, God wants us to know him. He wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. That's, that's good. That's natural. That desire is placed in there. But again, maybe some people don't want to know the God that is, so they create the God of their own dreams, of their own imagination. They create, create gods, they fashion gods that he can understand and make them idols. So that's the idol worship. This is also a desire to be like God. That's also good. We want to be more and more like God. But God is love, as our scriptures indicated earlier. But people who want to be like God often don't see that God is love. They see only the power and the control. So they become power-mad, narcissistic control freaks, filled with vanity and pride. Next one is the desire for mate. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. So he created a helpmate for him. There's a need for love. That's good. But the, uh, if the, love has responsibilities that go with it. And if you don't fulfill those responsibilities, all you're interested in is the, the physical gratification. So it ends up with sins as sexual perversions, possessiveness, adultery, promiscuity, jealousy, hedonism, pornography. This is a desire to be with others that are like us, family members effectively. Okay? But if you take that to an extreme, then you're going to end up uh, alienating people who are not like us. And that results in sins of jingoism, bigotry, prejudice, and hatred. The desire for work. Good to work. It's good to work. He's got to something to do with your hands so they're not idle. But in an extreme form, it becomes a workaholic or the opposite, not working, which is slothfulness and laziness. There's a need for success. The parable of the talents tells us about success and the reward that comes with it. But on a negative version, if you, all you're interested in is the goal, then you end up with a, a strong competition, with a win-at-all-cost mentality, greed, theft, gambling, dependence on luck. There's a need for uh, physical necessities, food, water, clothing, shelter, warmth, etc. If you become sinful about these, then you result in anger, anxiety, selfishness, hoarding, pride, envy, greed, gluttony. Etc. There's a need for security. And without that, we end up with basically the same one, but we can add in that murder and stealing as well. Does this knowledge uh, keep us from sinning? No, not at all. 
For as long as we're human beings, we will continue to sin. However, it may provide some insight in about why a particular sin continues to plague us. If we are plagued with a continuing sin, then we have probably have a corresponding uh, basic instinct, some need or desire, that is not satisfied. For example, if we rely on horoscopes, talismans, lucky charms, tarot cards, etc., then we may have an unfulfilled desire for knowledge or a, uh, or a desire to know and be like God. Particularly that sin expresses itself as some kind of control freak with vanity and pride. If the sin is greed, theft, gambling, or competitive spirit, then that need that is not being met is most probably the need for success. If we are afflicted with an addiction to pornography, promiscuity, sexual perversion, per, uh, possessiveness, adultery, jealousy, hedonism, then our need for love or life mate is probably not being met. If we experience anxiety, selfishness, a compulsion to hoard, greed, gluttony, stealing, pride, envy, or even murder, then it is most likely that our physiological or safety needs are not being met. In short, the kind of sins that we experience are direct reflection of an unsatisfied basic need. The contrast is also true. If a basic need is fully satisfied, eh, we're not as susceptible to the corresponding sin. For example, if we are secure in our knowledge of God and comfortable with our relationship with him, then dabbling in occult knowledge, sorcery, mysticism, magic, horoscope, idolatry, or witchcraft hold little, if any, appeal to us. Therefore, let us learn from our sin experiences what it is in our life that needs fixing. Okay, conclusions. I've got these on my sheet for you as well. This is just uh, the, the whole thing. Okay, the operating system of the universe is the love principle which needs no revised version because love conquers all. Sin is the transgression of the law of love and functions as a virus that attacks the love principle with the goal of creating chaos. Where there is no law, there can be no sin. Hence, the existence of sin implies the existence of the law. Therefore, the first sins occurred among the angels. The law existed and was in effect from the beginning but it was not codified until later. Sin entered the world through demonic beings who attempted to enlist us in the fight against God, the enlistment of which is an attack on the operating system. Uh, God manifests, or sin manifests as pride, greed, pride, anger, hatred, um, envy, slothfulness, lust, etc. And finally, our sins are perversions of the natural instinct, hence their appeal. We can learn from our experiences with sin and discover what, uh, which of our basic instincts are not being satisfied. Why do we sin? There's something not fully satisfied in our life and we need to find it out. 